You're listening to the Plain Bible Teaching Podcast, where we discuss current events, social issues, religious trends, and noteworthy news from a biblical perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in to the newest episode of the Plain Bible Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Soaker. This episode is being released on November 16th, 2023. And this week I'm joined by Christopher Gardana, and we're talking about whether fellowship meals are part of the work of the church. In the religious world today, it's become expected for churches to host meals or offer food as part of their basic function. But is that what we see the early church doing? Does that fit the pattern that we find in the New Testament? We're going to discuss that in our episode today. For links to some related materials, check out the show notes for this episode at plainbibleteaching.com slash podcast slash 11 1623. Now for our discussion this week. You know, the word fellowship is used very casually among many religious folks, and including some people I love very much. They'll just, they'll talk about whether it's having a fellowship, and then they use the word meal, where a lot of times people automatically associate that. I have Christopher Gardana here with me again, and uh, on the podcast to help us talk about uh, this topic here today, and uh, help uh, sort everything out as far as you know what what the scriptures teach and what our what our understanding should be of these things. So we're going to kind of talk about all of these issues today regarding eating together and whether that's the work of the church and what the scriptures say about that. So Christopher, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Well, in our last episode that we recorded together, we talked about fellowship. And we talked about the fact that by New Testament definition of fellowship, that involves jointly participating in a spiritual work. And as we were talking about that, that in that episode, you made a comment that many people hear the word fellowship and they automatically associate food with it, like a fellowship meal or something like that. And many people consider eating together and a church-sponsored meal as that's just part of the work of the church. When I first moved to Bowling Green 20-something years ago now, it's been forever now, but when I first moved here, I mentioned to someone that I was attend, I was going to be at a church service on a Wednesday night, and the first thing they asked me is like, oh, are they going to feed you there? Like to him, to him if you're going to some church assembly or ch- church service on a Wednesday night, the only reason you'd go and the only reason they can get you there is if they're feeding you. So that's the concept that a lot of people have is that eating together is naturally part of the work of the church. So we're going to consider some New Testament passages to help us sort through this question here in, in our episode today. So I want to start with, and we're going to be looking at a few different passages, but back in Acts chapter 2, when the church was first established on the day of Pentecost, the early Christians, they were eating together, and and it mentions there in the text they were eating together. Well, what does that text tell us about what those meals were and and really the nature of them there in Acts chapter 2? Well, the passages in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, where it says that day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple— Breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Uh, you'll notice there in Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 42, it says that they were continuing with one mind in the temple. Uh, and, you know, you'll see there that that kind of has more of an idea of them wor worshiping together or having Bible studies together and those kinds of things. Uh, but then you'll notice also later, with, you know, one with one mind in the temple, verse 46, but then it says breaking bread from house to house. You know, when you consider um, what they were doing in Acts chapter 2, this was kind of a new situation, obviously. Uh, you know, they had just, the day of Pentecost, they're preaching the gospel for the first time, and over 3,000 people have obeyed the gospel, and they were from everywhere. I mean, that Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 talks about how there were people from you know, all the known world there that were there for that specific purpose. And then once they heard the gospel and they obeyed the gospel, they wanted to stay there. So they may have left and gone home if it had not been for the events that took place there in Acts chapter one and chapter two. And so you, now you have this overload of people in the city that do not have probably not planned to be there, probably have not brought enough. I mean, when you go on vacation, uh, and you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, you kind of try to budget, you know, and can you just imagine extending that for another month because you like why you're there? You know, you're probably going to come up a little shorthanded or you're going to have to find some extra work. Maybe you're going to be like Paul and maybe help mend some tents and make a little extra money. And you notice that they were all sharing with one another as anyone had need. And so you can imagine not being at home. I need somewhere to eat. I'm going to eat with the brethren that I just learned about and, and embraced as my brothers and sisters in Christ and they're eating their meals together and they're they're glad and they have sincerity of heart it's just a beautiful passage mm -hmm. yeah it's and specifically what it talks about there it says they were they were eating bread or taking their meals together and they were doing this from house to house that you know as you mentioned there that they had these new brethren that you know they were you know, getting to know them and joining into fellowship with them. And they were now part of the body of Christ together. And so they, and they were from all of these different places. So they were also getting to know one another that they didn't necessarily know each other before this event happened, but now they were spending time together. They were having their meals together. So you see that this was just a natural thing that developed there with the early Christians was that they were taking their meals together. They were, they were enjoying that, but it says there that they were doing it from house to house. And so there's, it, I think in that text there, that it does make a distinction between what they were doing, all of them together with worshiping in the temple, and then what they were doing these other times where they were, because, you know, all 3,000 of them weren't all together in someone's house, that, that sure. no one had a house that was big enough to hold all of them. So they were in different groups and households and families and different ones meeting together but they were doing that in these different locations, and that was just a natural extension of the 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 closeness and the oneness that they had together. Now that they were all Christians, so there is a difference between then what they were doing together collectively as a church, and then what they were doing as Christians, and which kind of gets into another passage that talks about all this in First Corinthians chapter eleven, <clears throat> where you have the church at Corinth, they were eating together, but as Paul addressed that situation, he talked about what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. There in 1 Corinthians 11, the, as we start reading in verse 17, it says, but in giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. 
and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And then he goes on and talks about the Lord's Supper specifically and instructions about that. But then at the end of the chapter, he goes back to this idea in verse 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So Paul addressed there when he wrote to the church at Corinth about all this, he addressed three problems. Number one, they had changed the Lord's Supper, that when you come together now, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper because they've changed it. They were also shaming those who had nothing because they were taking their taking some food and leaving others out and because they didn't have what the others had. And then they were also, as he says there, they were not eating at home. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So there are those three problems that he addressed there in I think most brethren recognize the first two of those, that they had corrupted the Lord's Supper. Well, we're not to do that. And they were shaming those who had nothing. Well, we're not to do that. But they ignored the last point. So they opened the door then for these fellowship meals and turning these meals that at the beginning, as as pointed out in, in Acts chapter 2, was just the natural extension of what they did now that they were together as brethren. And now we're just going to make it a work of the church. And Paul said, no, you are to do that at home. That's not part of what the church is there for. It's something you do as Christians and you do together, but it's not the work of the church. So he's making a separation there between what the church does and what you do when you come together as the church, and then what you do outside of the assembly as individuals or as families. He makes a distinction between those two things. Well, and you can imagine, can you imagine 3,000 people? Uh, they probably come from different backgrounds. They uh, Obviously, they did. And they're cooking all kinds of different foods. Some are going to be eating this. Some are going to be eating that. Uh, you can just imagine just all the different things that they might be doing. And some are more wealthy and able, and others would not be as wealthy and able. And maybe they were more poor on the end of the spectrum. And, you know, some some are feasting and clearly they're not including everyone mm -hmm. you know so they, so you know there's division i mean that's what he talks he says i hear there are divisions existing among you and in part i believe it you know and so obviously those first two parts like you said uh are are certainly attitudes that we should not uh culture within the church but then also uh, the command or basically you need to go home to eat because you're you're turning the lord's church into something shameful um you know he says, shall I praise you? And this, I will not praise you. You know, this is not the the purpose of it. Right. And and what's interesting there in that passage is that he doesn't say that, well, as long as you fix the first two problems, sure. then then you can just come together and eat as a church. He doesn't say that. That that if if it was a part of the work of the church that we're going to have these meals together, we're going to come together for that purpose, you can imagine Paul saying, well, you need to fix this problem that you have where you're divided from one another you need to fix this problem where you've corrupted the Lord's Supper and then come together as a church and and eat. But that's not what he says. He says, you have houses in which to eat. That's the place for those types of meals. And 
in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what they were doing. They were eating and breaking bread from house to house and taking their meals together in that way, rather than, hey, let's have everyone together, and this is part of the church's work here, and we're going to do this. Right, and you can just imagine how, just even from a practical standpoint, you know, when you're at somebody's house, certainly you're, you're you know, being shown generosity and unless you just can't eat it, you typically eat whatever's put before you, you know, even if it's just a little bit of this or that or the other, but you can imagine going to a big get together where, you know, somebody's brought a, a fatted calf, you know, and someone else is over here with some porridge, you know, yeah. what, what are you going to eat? You know, who's going to be shown preference who, you know, you, you, so some of the attitudes you can see existing there. And, and that's not really the issue so much as it's just, that wasn't even really the place for it. It was, uh, maybe it had been incidental up to that point where, you know, it was just, like you said, an extension of them house to house. Now they're in the courtyard there in front of the temple and they decide, okay, it's lunchtime, it's dinner time, it's breakfast, whatever. Let's just eat here. And and nobody objected. And, uh, but he's saying, look, you know, another's hungry, another's full. Uh, you just need to, you know, if anyone is hungry, let them eat at home. And that, you know, goes along with the another verse that a lot of people go to in Jude, uh, verse 11 through 13, where a lot of people will quote and say, well, look, here's the verse. And, uh, you know, the book of Jude talks about love feasts and it says, you know, uh, woe to them. They've gone to the way of Cain. They've, uh, it says for, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, perished in the rebellion of Korah. It says, these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts and they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Jude verse 11 through 13. And some have latched onto this phrase, uh, this love feast, uh, to argue that these are meals shared by the church as, and, and as such, uh, because it's here that it is authorized uh, as part of the work of the church. I would say that it's directly connected to what Paul addressed there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because notice uh, these, these people that, that Jude is referring to, um, there's one, one uh, version that refers to them as shepherds, right? Uh, the idea here is these are these maybe even leadership who are there, but they're just there to ingratiate themselves, to feed themselves, to take care of themselves. Uh, and, and you know, the idea of, of the rebellion of Korah, they were asserting themselves, uh, even Balaam, right? Uh, the way of Cain. Uh, these are men who are very selfish and, 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 and carnally focused. And he says, even there, when you're having this big, you know, potluck, whatever you want to call it, you know, love feasts, uh, they're there just to eat the food. They're just mm -hmm. there to to fulfill themselves, you know, and Paul addressed that by saying, why don't y'all just eat at home? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that love feast there in, in Jude that brethren latch onto that because it's, there's not a lot said about it. So they can almost define it any way they want to, or they can pull from some, you know, non-biblical sources or extra biblical sources and say, well, this person said this, that must be what it is. Well, we know, as, as you talked about going back to 1 Corinthians 11, we know that there are certain things that it could be or couldn't be, and or at least as far as what's authorized and what, what, is, what is acceptable for the church to do. So 
you know, you look at that passage of Jude that talks about the love feast. It doesn't say anywhere whether whatever the practice was, whether it was he was approving of it or not. It doesn't say one way or the other. He was just saying you have people here who are leading you astray that they are, as you said, they are just there to you know enrich themselves or, or to satisfy themselves. They don't care about the brethren, but they're using mm-hmm. these as opportunities to to feed their own their own desires and their own appetites. And he's saying here that that you need to watch out for these false teachers. That's really the main point of what he's saying here is you watch out for these false teachers. But as far as these these love feasts, well, we know from the other passages we looked at, there's a place for Christians to eat together as far as sharing a meal together. And Paul made it very clear when he wrote to the church at Corinth that it was not when the church comes together and now the church is going to host this meal and have this event. That's not what what was authorized. So when we look at Jude, he's not saying, well, here you have these church meals, but you need to watch for these people who are coming in. He's saying, you watch for these people who are coming in. And whatever meals you're taking together, we need to remember what other passages talk about where they met from house to house and did this, or they ate their meals at home, that he's not inventing some practice that contradicts these other things or or saying that this is approved, saying you watch out for these false teachers. And also, you we need to make sure that we're doing what is authorized to do, not just what we assume is all right to do. And and I believe that even in Jude there, uh, that could have even been one of those meals that was house to house. And so they weren't it's possible, yeah. In the assembly, uh, they could have easily been everywhere they went trying to be the the first guy in the room. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there were people I've known in the past where we'd have a get together, a family reunion as such. And there was always one or two people that had to always be the first in line. And they made a joke of it, but it was really a thing that they literally were expecting to be the first person in the line. And before the line was even through, they had already eaten their plate and they were already back for another plate, <laughs> you know, and, and, and because they were, they were, well, we'll just say they were gluttons. They were just, they were just there to eat as much as they could. And we didn't think nothing of it. There was plenty of food, but, you know, Paul addressed that, you know, one is uh, hungry, another is drunk, another's this or that, you know, and, you know, you're turning what should be a reverent event, remembering the Lord's death into some kind of, you know, brawl, you know, just fighting, bickering, division, and it was never intended to be that. Right. Yeah, they had they had changed the Lord's Supper into something that it wasn't. They weren't remembering Christ anymore. And by doing that, they were taking these meals that were in the right context, were a good thing, and they were turning them on their head and making it about themselves rather than showing kindness to others or or strengthening the bond that they had with one another. It wasn't about that. It was only about about them. But but that's the thing I think we need to be careful about those love feasts that that Jude mentions that, but that does not authorize anything we want, just as long as we say, well, that's a love feast. Mm-hmm. It doesn't authorize just just anything. Like you said, it those very well could have been meals that they had at home. And and I think that's very, you know, very likely that that's what was going on. And I said that, you know, it's it doesn't even say whether what he's addressing was authorized or not, but we know what was authorized was them eating at at home and taking those meals together at home. So yeah. that that was what that's what we see in the New Testament as far as that. So we think we or we look at these passages 
And really, I wanted us to, to focus on these passages here in this episode, because this is re- what really it addressed this topic are these passages that we looked at here. And they show us examples of brethren sharing meals together and portrays that as a good thing, that it is good for Christians to come together. It's good for Christians to enjoy meals together. And that's something that we need to be doing and help strengthen the bond that we have together. But it also shows, as we look at these passages, that there is a distinction between what we do as a church and as the work of the church, and then what we do as individuals or families from house to house, that the church comes together, the church observes the Lord's Supper, but other meals, those are done at home or somewhere outside of the assembly. Do you have anything you want to add before we quit for today? Well, I'm I'm definitely for having love feasts if it means getting together with brethren and having a good meal. Um, so I have absolutely no problem with eating together with my brethren. And certainly some of the memories I've had, even from my youth, uh, I remember the preacher when I was a kid, he, he made ice cream. And so we'd go out to Lowry Park and everybody bring a churn of ice cream and you'd bring chips and maybe they'd make hamburgers and other things. And some of my favorite memories with members of the church were, you know, going to the park and and having a meal with my brethren. And certainly that's a wonderful thing. And we see a precedent for that. But when we come together as the church, we're there to remember the Lord's death, remember the Lord's Supper. And, you know, basically what Paul said there that, that you know, we need to, I'm trying to find the verse here. He says, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another you know, and so the idea of of waiting and then having a moment to remember the Lord's death—that's why why we come together, right? Yeah, and and this really is part of the larger issue of you know what is the work of the church and what the church is authorized to do because this this is all fits into the category of those who say that well if it's good for me to do as an individual then well that must mean the church can do it and there there's a whole line of things that we could talk about yeah. along. Long well, so really quick then, um, not to jump into another podcast here, but uh, I had one person say, well, anything that Jesus could do, we can do. And his his argument was Jesus fed the 5,000. Why can't we? And so as a matter of course, then of course, I'm thinking, well, Jesus was the son of God. Jesus could walk on water. Jesus could forgive sins. Have I been able to do any of those things? Right. So right away, the the premise is kind of faulty, but it's it's this notion that there's no division between what the Lord can do and what we can do. And if, you know, there's no division between uh, individual responsibilities in the, in, the, in the church. So if the individual can do it, the church can do it and vice versa. And that, that gets into a whole nother rabbit hole of, you know, well, I certainly have certain responsibilities towards my family that the church does not have. Now, obviously, right. if I do not have the ability to do it and I'm sick or, I'm, you know, they can help. But I have certain responsibilities as a husband, as a father that are not the church's responsibility. And it is not a work of the church and vice versa. There are some things which kind of overlap, you know, like one of those uh, is it a Venn diagram where they've got the circles and there's some things that kind of overlap. Yeah. But there, there certainly are differences in the responsibilities between the church and its work. And as the individual, and I think that'd be a great thing to follow up with. Yeah, that that would be good for us. And and maybe we can plan to do that some other time, but then talk about that in more detail, because that's really, and it's not just on this topic, it's a a lot of topics that the misunderstanding about about what we can do. And you think about, you know, what, uh, what that person told you said, well, if Jesus can do it, then we can do it. 
we can't perform miracles. Jesus, so we take the miracle out. He fed people. We can absolutely feed people, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's the work of the church to do that. That means I can feed someone and you can feed someone or, and so is again, that, that distinction is broken down or, or that what's the church's work and what's our work. And when we place our responsibility, the more responsibility of that belongs to us, we place on the church, then the more of a hindrance it is for the church to actually do the work that the Lord has given it to do. Amen. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother topic. And we'll, we'll talk about that another time uh, in another episode, but, uh, but we'll end it there and uh, appreciate Christopher joining me today. And, and, uh, and thanks for the discussion. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to the plain Bible teaching podcast. I hope you found this to be interesting, informative, and helpful. For links to some related materials, visit the show notes for this episode at plainbibleteaching.com slash podcast slash 111623. If you have a moment to rate and review the podcast or share it with others, that's always appreciated. And if you're listening to this, remember that we also upload video versions of the podcast to the Plain Bible Teaching YouTube channel. So if you prefer video to audio, then that option is available to you. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video, subscribe to the channel so you can see other videos we post here from time to time. And if you see a news story or have some topic that you think would make for a good discussion, send that to me at andy at plainbibleteaching.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Plain Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Also, be sure to sign up for the Plain Bible Teaching Weekly Newsletter. This free newsletter will be delivered to your inbox each Friday with articles, podcasts, videos, sermon outlines, and more. Visit plainbibleteaching.com to subscribe today.